You're listening to Tarazi Tuesdays with the Bible is Literature. This is Father Mark Bulos. And this is Dr. Richard Benton. And you are listening to Tarazi Tuesdays with the Bible as Literature Podcast. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning. Good morning, sir. Welcome again to the show, Father Paul. So, Father Paul, this morning we were going to talk about Alexander the Great and his imposition of Greek. And I always find that the Middle East is an interesting place that mixes different languages and different peoples using these different languages. But the imposition of Greek was something that really changed a lot. Greek became such an important aspect of the culture, connecting it with more of the Mediterranean world. Can you please talk about how the imposition of Greek by Alexander affected the way that the Bible was understood? Well, first, let's begin with this master stroke. I mean, for him to have launched this imposition of Greek outside his area, way outside his area. Remember, he started in Macedonia and went into Greece proper, and then you have Asia Minor, and going all the way to Mesopotamia, obviously beyond, but he came back. So by the time he died and the Seleucids, Greek was already there all over the place. Remember, it's an Indo-Aryan language, which is not at all like the Semitic languages used in the area we're interested in. Obviously, way back, there was Sumerian, but it's totally different language even than Greek. And he did that, obviously, to practically impose or make it less aggressive to circulate much more quickly his culture. Again, one has to remember a fact that is mentioned quickly in data, but not stressed enough that he was the pupil of Aristotle. His father assigned Aristotle to teach him. So with the openness, there is always imperialism. Notice the empires are not open in the sense that they come and take your language as their language. They impose their language. And the reason is simple, because they have writings that communicate ideas. I mean, I grew up in Lebanon, where French, until now, is not a second language. It is a second official language, meaning that if you have a document in French, you don't need to translate it in Arabic. It's accepted as such. So with it comes the French culture. I mean, French people are impressed how I know very well the geography of France more than they do. It was in the program. We had two baccalaureates, a Lebanese baccalaureate and a French baccalaureate, and either one was official. So what you get through that is the culture you are, if you like, baptized, reformed in that way. Notice Alexander was not close-minded in the sense that he forced his own generals to intermarry with the peoples where they were living. Many of them were unhappy, but the result obviously is that the spouses would have had to learn the language of the conqueror. It was the common name lingua franca. So instead of the Aramaic being and it has been for many centuries, the lingua franca. It is taken from Latin, you know, when Latin was the lingua franca of Europe, beginning with the Roman Empire. Greek 
became and thus the people had to learn at school and what do you learn at school remember john chrysostom telling christians of antioch in the fourth century well at school your children learn and read and memorize greek epics so at home you have to counteract that it was still in greek but by reading them stories from scripture so that some of their heroes would not be only hercules but also would be someone like samson and joshua samuel you know people knew that and until now you notice how people react against the fact that english is sweeping all over the place and it's classic how the people react let's take the armenians for instance i mean who speaks about the armenians and still they keep their language they teach it to their children so that they would remember that there are armenians it's not by name that you are armenian gypsies do the same greeks in north america do the same so your language is expressive of your being let me jump to a modern example which is very powerful a devout jew his language is not hebrew it is the scriptural hebrew it's not modern hebrew of the state of israel and a devout muslim his language is the arabic of the quran so this is how people are shaped so according to my thesis when the leaders of the area reacted by let me repeat belittling themselves obviously but also belittling the conqueror they wrote an epic let's remember that they did not just write down a couple of emails the bible is huge it's much more massive than the iliad and the odyssey put together so they produced a total literature in a language that is not greek at all it's a semitic language and according to my thesis with the aim of translating it in greek so that the greeks would read obviously the greek the septuagint but as a translation from an original and the importance for that feat is reflected in that story where 70 people translated independently the bible and the result was the same so it was an imprimatur of the septuagint what we call the septuagint however the hebrew was always there if you want to settle as to how to understand a certain term or phrase or a passage one has to go back to the original that's what professors of literature do they may read the translation in the classroom but it's important the original so it was counter greek and greek culture which i repeat was a culture that was mainly anchored around cities similarly to the mesopotamian culture so they brought all this plus the content of their epics with their deities and so on and also philosophy remember what i keep saying again and again and again that the third part of the old testament is very important it presents the torah which is the law written originally only in the scriptural hebrew as being the true sophia wisdom so it's a counterpunch but again to understand the value 
of all that, one has to understand the value of the mechanism of bringing one's language. Nowadays, I mean, I spoke about the Armenians and the Greek and so on, but before that, it would be good to mention the peoples of Central and South America that were overrun by Spanish and Portuguese. But again, if you follow the news, a lot of these people in Peru lately and Colombia wanted to go back to their roots. And the first thing that I read on the news is that they requested, and it was approved, that they would have a TV program show, daily TV program show in their language which is much more impressive than saying that you have a regular Spanish Latino TV in North America, because a lot of these people speak Spanish anyway. It's all over the place. But this TV show was hailed as a great move on the part of the president for having allowed the aborigines to have their own language. But again, a TV show is not a massive literature. That is the powerful thing that happened, according to me, in the mid-third century, one more time, with the intention of translating themselves, the authors. That's why the Septuagint is a translation that is not so much a translation. But you know my position. I don't endorse that knowing the Greek of the Septuagint it is enough, not at all. One must know Hebrew. I'm just expounding the history and the story behind the development of Scripture in the language of Scripture. Let's go back to my first example in Lebanese passport. You know, the first language printed is the Arabic, and then you have the French. Obviously, that French is a technical translation of the Arabic. And as I said, the document in French is official, but somehow it's the second official language, not the first official language. If there is something to be settled, it has to be settled in the original language. Is it significant that the Persians are treated better in the Bible and they did not impose the Persian language on the people, but used Aramaic as the lingua franca, a Semitic language, whereas the Greeks, when they came in, they imposed Greek as the lingua franca? That was also a reflection of a major policy of the Persians. You have outsiders that just crossed the river compared to the Greeks that crossed seas and lands, and they figured out what would be more practical for them, and they opted for the Aramaic. That's why in my books I refer to their culture towards the people of the area as beneficent, really beneficent in that sense. Now, what was their intention? To rule everywhere, and notice that their approach was paralleled with giving a level of freedom to the different areas that they would have the satrapies. They would have a governor whose origin is from that area, and thus spoke their language, and he knew their people. That, under the Seleucids, started to disappear 
the Greeks imposed technically. I mean, you notice by the second century, first century, all the official documents were in Greek and everybody spoke Greek. Even in the Roman Empire, Greek was used until way into the third century. Remember the famous emperor philosopher Marcus Aurelius who wrote in Greek and It's a different approach, yes, it's a different approach. But then the result was that scripture, although many scholars think that it was produced during the Persian era where the people were allowed to put together the the literature they had brought from Judea and Samaria, I mean, all this is vain talk. I mean, there is no proof of that. The literature was produced at once, and it makes more sense, given all the data, that it was produced at that time and not in the Persian period. My question would be to people who speak about the Persian period as a possibility, why was not the Bible translated in Persian? Remember, in my audio, I refer to the fact that way back, the area was bilingual. They used Sumerian and Akkadian, an Aryan language and a Semitic language. Why didn't that happen? So one has to explain facts on the ground. And on the ground, Greek was not just known, but pervading the entire area from Mesopotamia to Asia Minor to Egypt to Transjordan, all over the place. I had just seen a report about residential schools for Native Americans in Canada. And this is something new to me. It's something that has just come to a head as recent as 2015 with their Truth and Reconciliation Commission. But in Canada, for some time, they were kidnapping Native American children and putting them into what they called residential schools because there was a kind of covert program to gain access to natural resources that were obviously under the control of Native Americans. They didn't want to fight them outright, so they took the approach of trying to strip their children. And Father Paul, this is germane to your thesis, to strip the children away from the language and from their parents and their culture. Even now, as recently as the last 50 years, we have modern countries using language as a weapon. This has a very relevant pastoral edge to it, that the Bible, once again, is pushing back from inside and underneath and undoing imperialism. It's very powerful. Since you mentioned Canada, it would be worthwhile to mention a parallel example that is between two modern and international languages. The case of French in Canada, I mean, on paper, it is two languages Although in practicality, you may not be at least at one point a steward on Air Canada unless you spoke both languages and so on. But how could one explain the fact that de Gaulle, when he visited Canada, preached le Québec libre, the free Quebec? (laughs) I mean, Quebec is a huge area. It could be its own country. Whether he was right, wrong, he was on the mark when he told the French Canadians, if you want to be really free, you have to have your own language. So it's interesting, as you mentioned, Father Mark, just to bring up these examples as examples for the people. I mean, my interest is not in talking about scripture in modern history, but examples help 
us to understand what was done through scripture. I mean, just hear it in those times that you have a scripture in a foreign language, not Greek, speaking against kings and kingship and temples, which is the backbone of Greek culture. (laughs) That's a more powerful slap in the face of the other than writing it in the other's language. So well taken what you said, and I think this is part of teaching. The more one can find the contemporary examples that would fit in the sense it would shed light on the situation a long time ago, they are not only welcome, but necessary. And I urge you, I take this opportunity to keep doing this on your own podcast. It's very important. But then one has to be very precise so that the hearer would be enlightened as to the message you are communicating. That's what we're striving for. And it's helpful for us that you're doing these Tuesday sessions with us because it challenges us always to raise the bar in the work that we're trying to carry forward. So thank you very much, Father. Appreciate your time today. Thank you very much, Father. Okay, thank you. The Bible as Literature is a production of the Ephesus School Network.